today on Ag News Daily. And uh, they were farmers in Bavaria, and so when they came here, uh, they were farmers. And to this day, the, the Ring family is farmers. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you from downtown Chicago, joined as always on the podcast today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, you're rocking a sweatshirt today, living life on the edge. <laughs> Why? Um, because Iowa Public Television Station is freezing inside, and then I get outside to cut the podcast in my car so that I can have, you know, quiet, peace and quiet, and there's not good service in there, and my car is extremely hot, so I'm going to be muting my mic in between uh, discussion here so I can crank my AC back up. Good. Put that mic on mute. Madison Honkamp, you're the one we want to talk to anyway. What are you up to today? <laughs> um, my God, I've just been getting stuff ready for newsletters and quick plug. Um, I'm hoping to get our kind of weekly newsletter going. So if any listeners would like to get that, check out our website and subscribe and join our join the network. And I think there's even a little bar that they can now sign up for the newsletter. Is that right, Delaney? Yes, there's a subscribe button at the bottom of our website, globalagnetwork.com, or you can always just create a profile, which allows you to stay in tune with your favorite podcasts and blogs. Yes. Fantastic. Great work, Madison. We appreciate that. <laughs> but I also have a quick little plug, another little plug, because my dad was at my dad works for Heartland Co-op, and they had a dinner last night with a bunch of different people. I'm not quite sure what company or what it was for, um, but he said there were people from Canada, the Netherlands, Australia, China, I think he said Japan, and a couple other places, and they all knew what Ag News Daily was. Well, what? that is very cool. That yeah. is awesome. I love it. But of course, We love you. And, of course, he said he had to brag because his favorite child was on the podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, I would like to say that that's what he said, but. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, favorite child, why don't you tell us what news you've got jumping out at you today? <laughs> well, one big thing that I saw today was um, going back to the Trump administration and with the whole immigration ordeal that we have going on right now, um, as well as SNAP. And so from October 1st to July 29th, the State Department has rejected about 5,343 immigrant visa applications. And I know we talked about oh, probably about a month ago or so that we were trying to work with, I believe, Guatemala to kind of for um, migrant workers and to get visas or visa applications um, approved earlier and faster and so that they were really able to legally come into this country. And But that doesn't seem to be the case right now. And it was just crazy to me about how many people haven't been able to be approved for applications in, in just a short amount of time. Um, and a big thing that this article kind of touched on was how they had included the participation in the supplemental nutrition assistance program kind of as a factor into either approving the application or not. Okay. All right. Well, keep an eye on it. We appreciate your mm -hmm. diligent research and, and uh, you know, 
dogged reporting on this. <laughs> well, and it was just interesting to see that they brought Snap into kind of the application process rather than um, having it be after they were they like became citizens or right had right. visas. Or rolling it out there first rather than yeah. waiting around. Hmm. Yeah, it was in- it was in- a little confusing. So maybe we'll find some more clarity on that coming up in the following weeks, but. All right. Well, I've got some other news from south of the border, and that is coming out of Mexico. Madison, you talked about this earlier, but the top Mexican trade negotiator earlier today slammed a proposal to inspect all Mexican tomatoes at the border, saying it was, quote, totally unacceptable, and that doing so would trigger a logistical collapse in cross-border trade. So this comes back to the battle that has been going on for the past uh, couple of years. In May, the U.S. imposed a 17 and a half percent tariff on Mexican tomatoes because both U.S. and Mexico were working together to find an agreement that would uh, basically stop an anti-dumping investigation into Mexican tomatoes, and that deal never happened. So the U.S. just went ahead and put a 17 and a half percent tariff on. Well, basically they're saying that we want this tariff removed, and the U.S. is saying, okay, but we're going to inspect every tomato that crosses the border. And the uh, the Mexican trade delegation is balking, and um, you know this could have broader impacts as we look at USMCA's uh, passage moving forward. Yes, that will definitely impact USMCA moving forward, Mike. And I'm going to bring some news here back from the United States since we do have a good chunk of our listeners coming from the U.S. And really, this could this is going to impact the global market as well. In the latest ag economy barometer. Corn and soybean producers were both surveyed, asking how many folks took Prevent Plant, what their expectations for this crop year were, and the survey found that one in four corn and soybean growers said that they've filed Prevent Planting benefits, and of those farmers who filed Prevent Plant claims, 61% said they couldn't plant at least 15% of their intended corn acreage. And 42% said they didn't plant at least 25% of their intended corn acreage. So it's going to be interesting here to see this August 12th report come out next Monday. Mike, I think it's going to be interesting for you too now that you're in the heart of Chicago. What uh, What's going to happen there? I know they don't trade necessarily on the floor anymore, but just maybe a different vibe than what we feel here in uh, Des Moines or in the Midwest. Right, right. And there, there's just so much uncertainty when I talk to the, the brokers both at our office and just here in downtown Chicago. Um, it, nobody knows really what the USDA is planning. And we got maybe a bit of an indication, both with that survey, Delaney, that backs up the claim that, you know, acres might come down quite a bit. And then we also got this one from Farm Futures. Earlier today, they released their survey, and uh, they said that their survey shows 83 million acres of corn and 80 million acres of beans. That bean number is right in line with what USDA proposed back in June. Um, But that 83 million acres of corn, that's about 7 million acres fewer than what USDA proposed. They've never cut that many acres over the summer out of production. So this resurvey is going to be a huge deal, you know, one way or the other. Either it's going to show a a mid-80 million corn acres, and, you know, that's – going to be bullish obviously or it won't and the expectations won't be met and we could see this corn market just sell off to beat the dickens afterwards so 
it, it is definitely going to be a challenging situation for sure. That it is. And one thing that's really held steady, even though the economy, the farm economy continues to be in the slump. Mike, do you have any guesses on that? One, one thing. What now, Delaney? That's held steady amid all of this influx in farm economy. Farmland prices, Delaney Howell. Mike Pearson, you are right on the money today. Always. Always, <laughs> buddy. It's how I roll. <laughs> well, I'm on the money because I ain't got no money. That's true. There you go. Um, farm estate values have climbed about $60 per acre on average in 2019 to about $3,100 on average per acre, which is a 1.9% increase from last year, according to the USDA. They published a report on Tuesday seeing these facts, and they also said that croplands on average are up 1.2%, pasture values increased about 2.2%, and this continues a years-long trend towards higher farmland prices. Yes, indeed. The rebound from uh, the sell-off in 2013 continues, that's for sure. That it does. Well, Madison, what other news do you have for us today? Um, one last thing I saw today was, and obviously we've been talking about this a lot, but just kind of the strength or the, um, progressing kind of trade feud almost with China. That's how this article states it. Um, and I think Trump is really, I think he tweeted a, was it yesterday? I think we talked about it. He tweeted about wanting to help farmers and how there was kind of a lot, little bit of backlash from that. But we might even see some more trade aid coming through either next year or even the year after that. Hmm. Yep. I think that's going to be the case as long mm-hmm. as this thing is in in position. I've got to imagine, you know, we're going to see money rolling out of D.C. coming to the heartland. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it will be a pretty big topic, especially with the election year. Yes. Yes, it certainly will. MFP will definitely be in the headlines. Um, I just have one other just kind of an update because we won't get to it in the market segment. But we had um, a crazy day or a crazy morning, I should say, in the markets. We had a huge sell off in the stock market and a huge rally in the bond market and in gold. Uh, 30-year treasury rallies just uh, – or excuse me, the 30-year treasury uh, – no, excuse me. The 10-year treasury fell to the lowest level since October, and gold went to a six-year high earlier today. There was some definite money moving around, uh, Madison, in a large part because of these trade fears and what it might do to the broader economy. Yeah, these – I definitely think these trade talks have – the economy's taken a hit from it, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it is, and the concern is it could get worse. But, mm-hmm. Lainey, do you have any other news for us? I don't have any other news. Fantastic. Let's roll right into the market segment. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at Zaner, and I'm very excited to announce that tomorrow at 3.30, the Zaner Group will be doing a webinar. I'm very excited to be the moderator. Hop on to the Ag News Daily Facebook page, and you can catch a link right there and go get registered. You'll be hearing from Ted Seifert, Brian Grossman, and Dan Hussey, all talking about what to expect on August 12th from the USDA. Or you can always give us a shout at the office. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0112 or visit us on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and make sure you mention you heard it on Ag News Daily. 
looking at the markets today. We had an interesting day, as I mentioned, but corn, beans, and wheat all finished in the green. September corn was up 2.5 cents at 4.06.5, with the December contract up 1.5, finishing the day at 4.14 even. In soybeans, that SEP contract was up a penny at 8.54 even, with the November also up a penny, wrapping the day at 8.66 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, September... September was up four and a quarter at 488 and a quarter. December up three and a half cents, finishing at 491 and a quarter. And we caught a bid today in the live cattle. August live cattle up 47 and a half cents at 107.60, with the October up 22 and a half, finishing at 106.45. Mixed trade in feeder cattle today with the September contract down 7.5 cents at 139.37.50. The October was up 25, finishing at 138.90. And in lean hogs, the August was up 60 cents, finished at 77.72.5, with the October up $2.25, closing the day at 66 85. And a little bit of weakness today in the Class 3 milk futures. That August contract was down 7 cents at 17.50, with the September down 9, finishing up at 17.81. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for our interview here on this Wednesday? Well, we are talking, I chatted with Dr. Rick Batty, who works for Rank Seed. It's a smaller, private, independent seed company up in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. So, He's going to share with us really the experience he's seen here in the corn industry specifically over the last 40 plus years. Well, I'm excited to be joined by the corn product manager and new business development man, Dr. Rick Batty, who works for Rank Seeds out of Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Rick, first of all, thank you for joining me, but I want to talk a little bit about your background in the traits and the, the agronomy industry before we get to your work here with Rank Seed. Tell me a little bit about your background because you have a really interesting one. Oh boy, I tell you what, uh, you know, I've, I've been in the business for uh, for 41 years now. Um, I, I got my PhD at Wisconsin uh, in, in breeding and genetics. Um, and then I became a, uh, a corn breeder for DeKalb Pfizer Genetics. And uh, so I was, a, I was a corn breeder there in, uh, from, from 1978 until uh, 1980, and, uh, or until 1990, I'm sorry, um, until 1990, and uh, developed products uh, that were adapted to the Northern Corn Belt. And what, what's really interesting is to look back and see the difference between what's happening now in, in breeding nurseries compared to what I was doing mm-hmm. uh, back at that time. You know, when I, when I was in graduate school, we could not get the corn plants to regenerate themselves from single, single cells. Uh, in other words, we, we found a way to uh, create the, uh, the callus tissue, the, uh, uh, the undifferentiated uh, cells that are just kind of a mass uh, that would kind of grow and, and not differentiate into various parts of the corn plant. Um, until then, after that, uh, somebody was able to take uh, the, this undifferentiated uh, cell mass and, and get individual cells to uh, regenerate and grow into corn plants. That started something absolutely fantastic because then we knew it could go into transformation and start incorporating genes from from other plants and other species. 
but uh, my my career as a, as a breeder was pretty much the same conventional method that had been used for thousands and thousands of years in making corn what it is today. Uh, selection and, and uh, regeneration and propagation and uh, developing the hybrid from it. And so um, that stayed there as a, as a the concept and the main way that, that breeders develop new hybrids for, for the next 30 years. And so it was, it, it's been fun to kind of follow this just in the, in the most recent times of where breeding has changed. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's got a whole different, more efficient way of developing new hybrids. But as we, as we went through the, the process uh, in 1990, uh, things started to uh, get in more in terms of how we, we learned about the genomics and what genes were actually doing on an individual uh, molecular basis. And so then we could start to figure out that, hey, maybe we can start manipulating things and, uh, and, and start uh, uh, getting more efficient in, in how we would bring products through the system. Uh, but at that time, then, I became part of management and breeding and, and didn't actually get involved in, in the breeding anymore. I was part of the management of uh, several breeders. And then from there, uh, became an owner of a company. And then from there, um, into the uh, larger organizations. And then from there, back to a smaller company again uh, that uh, is at Rink Seed. So I've seen just a tremendous amount of fun uh, changes in in how products are are developed and uh, and, and evaluated. And so, Rank Seed is an independent seed company, which is really unique in today's day and age. Tell me about the differences of working, owning your own company, working for some of the big players in the seed industry, and now working for an independent company. Okay, when I first started, I was with a small company, and uh, that became that became DeKalb Pfizer. Um, and then uh, from there, I went back to a smaller company again and was a breeder and an organizer of research there with, with Supercross Seeds. That then became part of Garst Seed Company, and I was uh, supervising uh, several breeders in the Garst uh, Seed Company business. And then from there, I went back to a smaller company, Midwest Seed Genetics, and became an owner um, of of Midwest Seed Genetics and uh, being one of the one of the executives there that was uh, helping to be responsible for the humongous growth of of Midwest and then on into Channel, um, then uh, having the opportunity to uh, get into the Mon- mid into the Monsanto system uh, by them purchasing Channel, uh, we were able to. Uh, uh, increase our sales uh, simply by by hiring more people and getting uh, getting a larger footprint, and then uh, after that uh, went back to a smaller company at Rink Seed. It, it's it's a totally different atmosphere of uh, of being able to uh, have independence with regard to the selection of products. Uh, with a larger company, um, you're kind of uh, locked into using. Uh, products that are only coming through the the research pipeline of that particular system uh, because licensing is is expensive and if you have to pay for your research organization plus licensing it from someplace else that gets very expensive what's nice about rink seed is well we do have uh, some small breeding projects going on here most of our product is licensed in and we can choose from any of the sources out there 
and gives us more diversity with regard to what we uh, advance for our growers. Uh, gives us an opportunity to have an array of products with different genetic backgrounds, different technology traits, and, and basically uh, different sources of, of information with regard to those products. And Rick, I guess I should take a step back here for those folks listening, because we have listeners from all over the U.S., and some of them may not have heard of Rank Seed. Can you tell us about some of the history of the company and the territory that you guys cover? Oh, sure. It, it's really a fun thing, because uh, the, the Rink family um, immigrated from uh, Bavaria and Germany uh, in 1846 and settled into uh, this area of Wisconsin. And uh, they were farmers in Bavaria, and so when they came here, uh, they were farmers. And to this day, the, the Ring family is farmers. They are, uh, they are a group of people that, uh, that know what farming is because they, um, it's in their DNA almost that, uh, that it, it, it's come this far in, uh, in so many years. And even as a seed company, because they focus all their efforts now on seed business, um, they are, uh, they're, they're farmers and they understand farmers. Um, if, a few years ago, uh, I would say uh, uh, 10 years ago, um, they were primarily known as an early season company. Uh, in other words, providing uh, hybrid seed and soybeans for uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, um, and, and a little bit into the Dakotas. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we got expanded our, our uh, efforts into Nebraska, Kansas, uh, Iowa, Illinois, and uh, you know we've got a larger footprint than we've ever had before. So it's a it's a bigger following, and it's uh, it, it's really uh, enlarged the business um, that that uh, that we cover. And as you continue to enlarge the business, that changes what you're doing from a genetic standpoint. How are you making sure that the traits and the genetics that you're introducing? are effective in that wide variety of territory so so part of it is we have we have very good suppliers of our of our product that we license from uh, we, we get uh, several of our products out of the Monsanto pipeline um, now known as the Bayer uh, research pipeline uh, but we also get products from other sources which gives us a great amount of diversity uh, that that helps us with regard to uh, genetic vulnerabilities that are out there um, but what's what's kind of nice is that it, it being independent, uh, we can uh, we can pick and choose. And what what we do is that we bring uh, many many products into our testing system, and evaluate all the products all together from all the different sources. Uh, that way, then the cream rises to the top, and it gives us the opportunity to pick and choose which products we choose to go forward with. Um, being a smaller company, uh, we can focus on products that maybe the larger companies don't want to don't want to deal with. Uh, the larger companies tend to choose products that work over a larger area. Mm -hmm. uh, we can focus in on say we need a new product for for Illinois, or we need a new product that is uh, that is geared toward uh, a, a being adapted in Nebraska. Um, and so we can we can pick those things out and evaluate them, and then uh, those that are are good enough uh, to get a rink uh, commercial product name, uh, they will rise to the top, and we produce them. 
So working in this industry <clears throat> for 41 years, you've seen a lot of different growing seasons. Have you ever seen one like this one that we're seeing in 2019? And how do you oh. how do you adapt to that? Well, I tell you, it's been a tough year, uh, not not just for Rink Seed uh, and, and those of us who deliver the seed out there, but the farmers. Um, I've never seen this wide of an effect on farmers. You know, we've we've had we've had situations where there were challenges in the past. Uh too much water, too little water, too much rain, too much hail. Um there there but those were in various regions. Not necessarily so widespread as what the excessive amount of moisture that we had this year. And it it, it just kept happening every couple of days there'd be more and more rain that, that the farmers would end up dealing with. And they'd just get the soil ready to go out and plant it, and it would rain again. And it was, it, it was just so sad to watch this. We had to adapt as a company because the later in the season it got, the more farmers started to think about, okay, I bought this particular relative maturity product. I'm going to have to switch to an earlier product. Well, what that ended up doing then, because it's so widespread, we had to start with the with the earlier products up north and pull them down, and and just it would be a trickle down effect. So we were moving product around just tremendously more than what we ever would in a single season. It, it was it, it was a tough year, and it's it, it it's hurt everybody. And I think the thing that a lot of people are, are waiting and watching for is really to see how this crop progresses, how it comes out of the field when harvest time comes. We know the genetics are there for yes. drought resistance. Right. Are the genetics there for the extremely wet start to the growing season that we had? That's a tough one. You know, each generation of improvement that breeders go through, um, the, the germplasm increases in its tolerance uh, because we, we, we just develop products based on their performance in various conditions. And so we've had an opportunity to uh, develop products, like you say, for drought tolerance and, and for uh, heat tolerance and, and some diseases that uh, have come through. Um, but, you know, there's never really been a lot of products that have come through extreme wet conditions uh, like we've had this year. Um, that That unfortunately when a when a uh, corn plant grows in wet conditions it usually means a very shallow root system um because it's, it it has hasn't had to stretch the root system down to get moisture or nutrients um so i'm concerned now that the root system is so shallow that severe winds that would come through are there's going to create a lot of root lodging uh the other thing that that a lot of moisture early does it creates a perfect environment for disease to come in. Mm -hmm. And and we're already seeing uh gray leaf spot, northern leaf spot, uh some some gosses coming in in the west. Uh we're seeing anthracnose come in uh and I I I worry about a couple of things here. Um that the disease is starting uh to creep in to uh to the corn plants, but they are they are earlier in the maturity than what that disease normally hits it. And so that's going to affect yield um, because it will it will start to take away leaf area that is feeding that plant um, and helping it produce grain. Uh, the other the other thing that I'm concerned about is that we have had so much moisture throughout the early part of the growing season that that a lot of the nitrogen has leached away. So while the corn plant may look 
really, really good now and green and, and just lush and, and pretty much unaffected by the environment, um, when it gets to the point of where it really needs nitrogen to finish the grain off and produce a lot of that grain uh, and stay alive through the whole process, I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to run out of nitrogen. And mm -hmm. we're going to start to see that by, by seeing uh, the brown uh, the brown areas on each side of the uh, of the leaf margin, and it will start to start at the bottom of the plant and it will work its way up and and eventually once it gets to the uh, leaves that are above the uh, the ear, then that 's attacking the point that's that 's really going to be critical in finishing that that corn off. Well, it's going to be an interesting year. I won't ask you to speculate what you think we're going <laughs> to get for a final yield because I don't think anybody <clears throat> knows at this no, point they don't. but when you look at the future of what the industry holds from rank seed perspective, just from what you've seen over your past 41 years here, what do you think are the next things coming down the pipeline as far as seed genetics or traits or otherwise come? So, so the pipeline of traits uh, in, in the three major trait companies is pretty full. And they're spending a lot of money, millions of dollars every day, uh, to develop new traits, new sources of, of new herbicide resistance, uh, new sources of, of disease and insect resistance. Um, what I think has, has made things probably progress more rapidly than anybody would have ever thought is the knowledge about the molecular aspect of the genetics. Um, being able to know exactly what a gene does and how it's how it's made up and where it is in that plant, um, knowing that there are some some genes that are particularly uh, particularly uh, active in uh, increasing the performance of the plant, and then identifying where it is, and then using that information to create uh, a better situation in the next generation, selecting for that region uh, of the of the corn plant. And it's, it's gone from the breeders being <clears throat> more of an artist than a scientist to you're now more of a scientist than you are an artist. Uh, because for so many years through my early career, you were selecting based on what you saw and, and what the combine harvested. And, and you, you tried to correlate the two uh, while you were selecting products uh, um, early in the, in the generation. Well, now you can you can take leaf leaf tissue samples or pieces of the of the kernel off and do a genetic analysis and know right away whether or not that particular plant has the right genes that are going to be either all favorable or not enough favorable or you know we're going to have to throw that one away so therefore they can screen literally millions of seeds uh in a year to get to the right ones that are going to have the right genetic combinations. It's going to be an exciting time for agriculture. I think sounds so. Sounds like it. Well, Dr. So. Rick Batty from Rangseed, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Rick Batty. In full disclosure, guys, I was attending their annual seed meeting and uh, had the chance to talk to him over the weekend, but really interesting stuff. Very cool, Delaney. That's great that you had the chance to get out there and uh, and get around and meet some interesting people. It's the funnest part of this job. That it is. <laughs> well, I tell you what, another fun thing is going back over past episodes of Ag News Daily. Madison, where can listeners go to do that if they're really looking for a rip-roaring good time? 
<laughs> well, Mike, listeners can always find us at our website at Global Ag Network slash Ag News Daily. They can also find lots of other, not only podcasts, but also articles, blogs, and some videos um, from other providers, actually. And if they want to chat with us, not maybe not through the podcast, but rather through social media. They can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. Fantastic. Delaney, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.